now, everyone. This is Matt Pandola along with Mr. Chad Sweet. Were you just doing your impression of Fat Albert? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Yeah, or uh, we're always going back to the 80s, right? You and I were yeah, talking yeah. about saying uh, last night I was listening to uh, Dolly Parton. She was singing that song. Uh, nine to five? No, yeah, nine to five. What a way to make a living. And I was thinking, hmm, I work five to nine, and uh, most of it I don't get paid for. So I got to figure this out. <laughs> that is a way to make... No, that's a way not to make a living. People are wondering, what the heck am I listening to? This is the Relative Run Readiness Podcast, and we will be talking about running. Today, our topic is going to be about efficiency versus effectiveness. But first, Chad, as always, like to ask you, how the heck are you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing all right. Uh, you know, I just want to take a minute and... Uh, reflect. We had uh, a pretty important weekend last weekend. Um, uh, we went to uh, camp with uh, Balanced Art Multisport. Balanced Art Multisports. Bam. 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 Kids. Yeah. Um. And, and that was great. Coach Wes and and Coach Andrew and um everybody there. Uh, it was a lot of fun and it was super important. I was, uh, glad to be there and, and it was the first camp I'd ever been to. Uh, and what I'm really excited you, about. You never went to camp as a kid? I never went to any camp, BAM or band. Oh, I would have thought you'd been in like, you know, some acting camps or something. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think I ever, I didn't go to any camps or anything like that. I mean, we had like that like day camp at our, uh, at the elementary school in my town when I was growing up and you could go, I don't think it costs anything. You could go and get pummeled by dodgeballs. That was one of the games. <laughs> uh, or what was that stuff? Um, the little plastic, like flat stuff that you wove into like keychains, key fobs. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was yeah. that stuff? I don't know. That was <sighs> keychain making camp that right. you didn't yeah. go to. No, no. That was it. But that was just like a drop-in day camp thing. I think it was just like a community resource. Yeah. I that's, now I'm thinking camp. about Dodgeball, though. Yeah. And uh, Ben Stiller, right? <laughs> and that movie, was that, that was great. That uh -huh. was so funny. At the time when Dodgeball came out, I was working as an independent contractor. And so I was renting space out of this facility. But the guy who um, who owned the facility, man... He was such a tool. He was just like Ben Stiller in the movie, like exactly like him. I mean, it's almost like Ben Stiller met this guy and said, okay, that's the guy I'm going to portray in the movie. <laughs> so it was so, it was so funny. Everybody was cracking up in the facility when that movie first came out and people were actually going, watching the movie and then talking about how Ben Stiller was so much like the stereotypical, like kind of meathead trainer, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. And how it's all about, uh, you know, squeezing your glutes and really pushing that max rep out. And is that efficient or is that effective? We'll talk about that, right? But I, I love that movie. That was so funny. That was probably one of my all-time favorite movies that came out in the last uh, decade or so. Yeah, yeah. More than a decade now, stuff. actually. Uh, probably, yeah. I think so. We're old, Matthew. Yeah, um, we are. Uh, but the exciting, the other exciting thing I want to get back to Bandcamp is that um, we have a podcast coming up 
where um, they were so gracious and nice to let us uh, record their wrap-up meeting at the end of the week for that camp. And, um, you know, there's stuff that is, you know, obviously people learned things about uh, training. Uh, They're training for whether they're swimming or running or biking. Um, They learned stuff for strength training, which is why we were there. Um, But I, you know, a lot of it is you know, as, as an educator in that situation, which is what, you know, you were, you were doing, you're an educator for these kids, um, you know, watching them make the connections between the strength training that you were doing and how that, how that crosses over into their, their running. Right. Yeah. Cause these, these are triathletes, these, uh, junior elites, they were, they were a lot of fun to work with. It's always interesting to see, at that age, I know I struggled quite a bit when I was their age, just trying to find the right answers for the training. And I was getting more serious at that age. Of course, uh, these some of these athletes have already had some some um, success. There is one kid who is already third in the country in triathlon. But um, it's really fun just trying to help them kind of come along, connecting the dots a little bit. And you see those light bulbs come on when we talk about various subjects when it came, when it comes to strength and how that relates to their swim, bike, run. And that is something that I want to talk about the next uh, couple weeks. We're going to do some podcasts on how strength training really does affect our our running and our overall health and fitness. But in particular, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what kind of strength training we should do, what uh, it does for our running, if anything at all, does it really prevent injuries? So I'm putting together some ideas to talk about there. I think it'll help a lot because that's where most of our conversations, I think, revolved around how this could help their running gates. And especially when it comes to just the amount of information that's out there, it's hard to decipher what to listen to. And that's where I think we can really help out with this podcast. I know there's a lot of people listening that want to know what they should do in the strength room or what kind of strength training that they should focus on more. So we'll get to that a little bit more as well. And, you know, finally, I would say, Chad, when it comes to traveling to camps like this, it's always fun. I like the road trips. We did travel because I'm bringing equipment and stuff like that with us. You brought the podcast equipment. We had a great interview that everybody can listen to as well. But this is something that I always look forward to just seeing different parts of the country and yeah, it's boy in, in St. George, St. George. Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about beautiful canyons. Yeah. We were able to do some hikes in the canyons and yeah, that's the fun part as well about uh, the, the trip, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you, you talked about the light bulb going off for these kids. Um, I had a lot of light bulb moments at this camp, and one of them is our topic for today's podcast. You were, um, I think you were talking to Coach Wes, maybe, or Coach Andrew, I don't know. Um, but you you said this phrase, efficiency versus effectiveness, and I thought, wow, that's a really interesting phrase as it pertains to training for sure. Um, uh, and so like, what does that mean? What, what is efficiency and what is effectiveness? Sure. Well, 
one of the things that I'll back up and say that when we're giving advice for programming, oftentimes I find that people are doing maybe too much too soon. And that could be with their running volume. That could also be with weight when they're lifting. Um, there's, there's a lot of efficiency that we're trying to gain. So we improve our running economy. We're more efficient when we run, for example. And so really, to me, it comes down to the commitment to be very consistent in getting in the day-to-day practices. Like with us, we, of course, suggest that you do our you-know-when-10 assessment and find out what things you might have to work on to help to improve your running. And then that system really only works well if you're doing it daily. So something that you have to become more efficient at. And, right? and, and, the, and the movements itself, the, the, themselves, are very efficient. I mean, when you're talking about a, a protocol progression that you get from, from this assessment, uh, it should only take, what, 12 minutes, 20 minutes tops? Yeah, I'd say 8 to 12 minutes a day is is the goal. Yeah. And another podcast that'll be coming out soon is with Jessica Dorrington. She's a physical therapist that I interviewed just yesterday. So we'll, we'll get that podcast out soon as well. And she was talking about how she gives three to five movements to her clients to do. And that's exactly what we suggest as well. What we like to try to do is give you something that you're more compliant with. So when you're doing something that takes you about 10 minutes, you're more likely to do it. I think she said something like 78% more compliant if you are doing, say, three movements a day. Mm -hmm. And then when you're going up from there to five, six, seven, you know, plus movements, you're less likely to do it daily. Now, the efficiency part of the conversation, though, I think comes in when we talk about doing something every 12 hours or every 24 hours. You obviously get more efficient by repeating a movement again and again and again. And that's what essentially with our running, we're repeating these patterns. And for good or bad, we become more efficient at that. So. Mm. That's where sort of the effectiveness part of the conversation comes in. Are we effective with the patterns that, we're, that, that we have? So when we're out there running, we may have some deficiencies, but we have to realize is that, especially when we add on more volume, we're going to say now go from running 30 minutes at a time to trying to run 60 minutes at a time. We may be piling on more inefficiencies and that is uh, that has a compounding effect so i talked with the group a lot about fractionalized running for example and the the fact that well i guess i should explain what fractionalized running really means Please right do. yeah yeah so this is a concept that i use um based off of bobby mcgee's um, research and just the amount of coaching he's done with athletes over the years, he's, he's the one that really brought this, I think, to the forefront a little bit more. Even elite athletes are oftentimes doing a minute of walking between their running. 
And that might be for them so that they recover more. So their easy days are actually easy. And I'll get to that in a minute. But there's nothing wrong with, say, running for three minutes and walking for a minute. And, and in fact, it's not that there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's, it's even necessary, I, I feel. So today, just earlier, I was running inside here at the facility we have. And the reason why I was doing that is because I wanted to, A, be able to look at my form. So I'm running. I have, we have a woodway here. So that, that's a nice that's a nice piece of equipment we get to have here. But um, even just running on treadmill, something like that, but where you can see your form, that can help out quite a bit where now I'm just focused on my arm swing in the mirror and seeing where I'm at there. And I'm really focused on that for a few minutes at a time. Then I'd get off of the woodway for a minute. I would do some dynamic drills and just some things to work on where I felt like I had restrictions. So especially on days when it might be, you know, the weather's not great or you might not have as much time to get out there and travel to say the trails or go to the, the, uh, the commute back and forth for your run, might, you might have limited time. I would rather just spend that 20 minutes or so, maybe up to 30 minutes, just doing a 3-1-2, I'd say a 9-1. That's, that's what I generally work on. So what I mean is three minutes of running easy, a minute of dynamic movement, and that can even just be walking, but I have dynamic drills I like to work on. And then you can build yourself up to, say, four minutes of running and one minute of dynamic movements all the way up until you get to about a nine one, nine minutes of running and one minute of dynamic movement. And that's something that I've been using now for years. And I suggested that some of the athletes that we were talking to, that they do that in their training more often, especially on their easy days. But for a few of the athletes coming back from injuries, for example, or just when you are starting a program out, I sent out an example program to a young man that I used to coach that's now getting ready for the military. And he's got a, I think it's a, I think it's a mile and a half test that he's doing for the Marines. And he has never really done a full-on running program and i know it's been a long time since he's been running so i sent him a program where he starts off with about 30 seconds of running and then a minute of dynamic movements and he'll build up from there over a six-week period of time to where he's doing more continuous running so this is the example is about i'd say half of the economy that we're looking for tends to come from our our windless mechanism and we've talked about this a little bit before where we have more of a progression that we're we're trying to get to with our body to be able to use more of our 
um, our natural elasticity, our ability to be able to push the ground away effectively, that comes from being able to recruit the right muscles at the right time, but that also takes a lot of focus. So for example, with the conversation about glutes and whether or not glutes are a, a important for runners, well, yes, of course you should have strong glutes, but a lot of runners, they are doing a lot of emphasis on glute training, but yet they're not holding their positioning. They're not stacking. They're not holding good, solid position through their running uh, gait and their running economy ends up suffering from that. So I think... So, that, so Sorry. So that means that they've done all this training on their glutes and then they go out and run and... and their glutes aren't connecting to the rest of their body to help them move forward more efficiently. Yeah. I mean, and that's why I like having your perspective on the podcast, Chad, because uh, everybody, if you haven't uh, heard this already, Ch Chad's not a runner. He's a, he's a really good athlete, but he, I hate running, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hate it. Do you remember? Do you remember? I'm going to go off on a tangent here. Do you remember we're in AmeriCorps? And, uh, you're the, the crew boss on the fire crew and we're training. We were in, I think we were in San Diego running in the Torrey Pines along the coast there. And we had packs on like full of rocks and stuff. I'm running up and down the trails, running down the beach. And I turned to you. I don't remember if it was during the run or after the run. And I said, you know what, Matt, I hate running. I promised myself years ago that I would never run again unless someone was chasing me. And yet somehow, somehow, years later, when, when um, you know, 15 years ago, when we opened up the first Pendola training, I got back into running because you make it fun. <laughs> yeah, so you, you did uh, learn to, to have fun with your running. And I, I do believe that uh, that's also a part of that process. Of course, I know a lot more now than I did, geez, over 20 years ago when we were uh, running on that beach together with uh, with packs of rocks on our backs and that and was 25, 25 years 25 ago. years ago. Yeah, I was I was definitely more militant back then, and it wasn't as fun. And I I do believe that building your way up and becoming more efficient and allowing that process to happen over time also allows you to obviously enjoy the sport a lot more too. Right. Right. So, yeah. If you can do that. If you can get that that daily or, or a couple times a week run in and and do it efficiently, so that you are you're prone to not uh, getting injured, right? That's a big uh, big deterrent for a lot of people. Sure, yeah, yeah. Injury reduction is is always a big part of I think most conversations that I have with athletes and um, anybody who's been through injuries, and that's probably everybody listening. You know it can be very frustrating, but I think we do have solutions that can help to reduce those injuries. And just talking uh, with the glutes, for example, going into that part of the conversation again, I was talking with an experience. He was a steeplechaser in college, and he ended up having some back surgery. I was talking to him a couple days ago. He has been working quite a bit on his spinal tap work, right? So that's, that's doing different bridge work where he's really focused right now on 
his breathing and making sure that he is recruiting his initial action from the trunk before his peripherals take over. So in other words, he's starting to get much stronger foundation by doing this um, spinal tap work, I call it. And he was telling me he's feeling so good when he's running now, and this is only a four months post-surgery. So this is, uh, this is a quick comeback for him. But then, you know, of course, we all, if we love to go out there and run, we all kind of push it a little bit too much too soon. And he's saying, yeah, I just started feeling a little something in my back again. And I know I started doing a little too much. Um, here's the, here's the thing with, with him, he's very strong. And talking again with Jessica yesterday, she was saying that most, nobody has a five out of five with their strength in, in their glutes. But if most runners were tested, we would find that their glutes are strong enough. They're strong enough to support their running gait. So say they test a three out of five, you know, it's strong enough to support the gait. And the thing is, if you're holding your position, your glutes are actually getting stronger as you run because you're using them more. But if your foot is getting out in front of you, because say you're sitting in the saddle, so this is when you're sitting back a little bit and your hips are hinging, then you're not really recruiting your glutes as much, right? And that is where we usually want to start. And so when we look at fractionalized running programs, it gives us a chance to refocus. Every three minutes we stop, we do some dynamic drills, and we can start to refocus on our running form again. I like to use breathing too as part of this equation. So what I suggest is that people are starting to run with um, about a 4-3. So they're running very easy at that pace. When I say 4-3, I mean four steps with your breathing out, three steps when you're breathing in. And for some people, that's really tough to focus on. So I say at the very least, if that's a little bit much for you to think about, then just make sure you're breathing out longer than you're breathing in. And when you can no longer do that, when you can no longer breathe out longer than you're breathing in, and you can't catch your breath, so to speak, you're going too fast for that easy day. Mm -hmm. And when you reset, it can also be just when you find that you start to lose that pattern. So instead of being stuck on say, three one, although I like that buildup, it could be uh, two minutes in 40 seconds, two minutes in 52 seconds, mm -hmm. where you start to lose that breathing pattern. And then, of course, it depends on the course you're running, right? So you might, you might hit some more technical terrain. You might hit a steeper uh, hill, something like that, where now you're starting to walk simply because you can't hold that breathing pattern on that hill. So it can have nothing to do with your fitness, just the fact that your heart rate now needs to come down a little bit again. So to really make an easy day easy, I believe that fractionalized running is key to that, especially when you use these breathing patterns I'm talking about. But in the beginning, especially when you're coming back from an injury, then I think that this is the pattern that we should follow building back up on a daily basis. Let me ask you this question. This might be a dumb one, but... Um 
you talk about, so we're going to do three minutes of running and then we're going to do a dynamic movement or walking and or walking. Um, what, what's wrong with just stopping? Yeah. Just, uh, stopping cold. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Just stop running, stop doing anything and then get, pick it back up again a minute later. Well, you know, when you do drills that dynamic drills that I'm talking about here, you could be standing in one place, right? So, uh, there's there's different knuckle draggers or there's different uh, drills where you might reach overhead and you could stay in one spot, especially if you're maybe on a terrain that doesn't really allow for you to do a dynamic drill. If you're on trails and you happen to be going uphill, uh, that those areas there, I just personally would per- prefer just continuing to walk up the up the hill, but there's uh, there's just that effect where you stop cold and now your heart rate is trying to adjust right to the fact that you're not moving at all anymore so i think that just some good movement still in between those sets also establishes a better recovery period for you so you're not just um, starting and completely stopping Mm -hmm. and then i i also just think in the terms of like forward momentum, right? We want to feel like we're still moving forward, right? And when we do drills, when we're working on, let's say stacking. So when I say stacking, I'm talking about the ribs are down. We're not letting our ribs flare up, right? So just a simple drill is just breathing out longer then you're breathing in because that allows you to start to cinch in a little bit more for your trunk. And so in other words, the deep abdominal muscles start to work a little bit more. So now you don't have to fight to get air back in that comes more automatically. So when I'm doing drills where I'm breathing out nice and strong, that alone is going to help with my stacking and to remind me to keep my ribs down as I'm running. So that's a key, that's a, that's a key piece there, keeping the ribs down as we're running. And as we breathe back in, our ribs are going to externally rotate again, but we don't want to chest breathe. We don't want to lift our chest up to get that air back in. Now, those are things that I believe really are fundamental. So when we do spinal tap work and we're working on plank progressions, we get into positions that are really going to help with that breathing pattern. And we can do that in, um, a, 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 in a setting that we're able to focus on these things. So I'll explain those breathing patterns. We can, we can have a couple links maybe to the podcast too, showing what these uh, bridge patterns look like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like to, I like to, um, to, to think about the hips steering when we run as well. So instead of just thinking about the glutes, if our hips are headlights and our headlights are shining forward, are we swiveling those hips around? Are they, are they oscillating? Are we keeping those hips steering straight forward when we run, right? Because we want our hips forward. And so these are things that can be greatly affected when we are doing our 
pillar work, or in other words, we're working on these bridge patterns, okay? So when I say spinal tap work, the reason why I came up with that term was because we're truly tapping into the muscles that are supporting our spine, and especially the muscles that are stabilizing our lower spine. So we have anti-rotation in the lower spine. And again, you know, the body's a stack of joints. So if we have anti-rotation in the lower spine, that means that the thoracic now should be able to rotate more freely. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I can give a little bit of advice, but when you're talking about a frontal plane, so this is where you're, say, laying on your side and you're doing a side bridge or a frontal bridge, right? And so you're on your elbow, right? And you're on your side and you lift your hips up. Now, this position here, we just did this this morning in our own training. And that position really helps us to get that stability on our lateral line, which in turn helps to open up the internal rotation or restrictions we might have with our hips. Now, when we go to the frontal plane and we work on that, we should find that our hips actually have gained a little bit of mobility because we've added some stability to that trunk or to that lumbar area of our spine. So this is something that I think um, we need to be able to focus on when we're running. So it's uh, where I like to, for example, doing my fractionalized running in the gym I might run for three, four, five minutes, then get off of the woodway and then do a frontal plane bridge. Then I get back up and I do some more running and I do feel the difference. In fact, this morning, when you told me you had some restrictions in your hip, that we went right to uh, some bridge work for that. And we did the frontal plane. We also went just like you're doing a push up, but you're on your elbows. And we held that position because that's the anterior abdominal chain, which helps to open up more external um, rotation in the hips. So again, mobility for the hips. So um, yeah, why don't you tell people what you felt after doing that? We were doing some squat patterns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what's funny is that when we first started, so we had the we had the atomic or sorry, the landmine bar uh, uh, up against the wall, and we were doing. Um, some some calf raises uh, up to our toes using our windless mechanism, right? Yep. Yep. Good. I got it. I'm learning, baby. I'm learning. Um, and when we first got into it, so imagine, if you will, um, our listeners, imagine going Imagine, out, if you will, a man doing bent <laughs> knee calf raises. Well, I was going to say going out into the woods to uh, pop a squat. You know, mm-hmm. digging a little hole in the pine needles and getting ready to to do a number two. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the position we were yeah, in. Like that. And like then that. then just add in the heel raises to right, that, right? Right. Yeah. And so just a little bit of weight on the bar, not a lot. And when I first got into the position, um, I, I, I had real tightness in my hips, uh, hip flexors, that sort of thing. And I thought, man, this is, uh, I don't know what this is doing, but but this is tight. And then we went and did the bridge work, and then we went back, and you didn't say anything to me. You didn't say, like, this is going to help you do this or whatever, because you didn't even ask me uh, how I felt after doing the first one. No, but I don't care. You don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm there to get my own yeah. workout in. I don't care. You're a 
jerk. <laughs> uh, so I go I go do the second one. We do our second set, and then Matt says, "How now? How you feel? Like what's the oh, difference?" Oh, so I do care. Okay. I mean, you did after you you care about about being right. That's you, what you right, care about. Yeah. Right. Uh, so he said, "I care how about being able to give you the right answers." <laughs> right. Right. Leading questions. You know, there's going to be a difference. So I my first initial reaction was, I don't. What do you mean? What, how is it different? I didn't really pay attention the second time. And the reason I didn't pay attention was because nothing hurt. My hips weren't tight. And so they didn't scream at me, hey, pay attention. Uh, I just got down and did the movement and, and it was great. But it took me a minute to come to that because I was like, wait a second, there, nothing said anything. And then I had to remember, oh, the first time I did it, my hips were tight. Yeah. And we're actually going to make a few videos right after this podcast First of all, you'll hear me say that I don't think that traditional plank work, especially where you're just on your elbows and you're on your toes, right? And you're holding a plank. I think that that is, unless you're just beginning and then, yeah, there's some benefit to that, but I, I don't think that's a great movement. And here's why, because it becomes like an endurance competition, right? It's something that I can hold a plank for five minutes. I can hold a plank for 15 minutes, right? Well, can you really? Because when I look at form with people holding planks for a long period of time, you'll tend to notice that their hips are sagging, that there's essentially there's compression on their lower spine because they're losing it through their abdominal chain. They're not keeping that global flexion through their spine in that position. And they might have been holding it properly for the first 30 seconds to a minute, and then they start to lose it. But, I mean, they can stay in that position. They can keep their hips off the ground. Right. And and then later on say, oh, geez, you know, my, my hips are so tight and my back kind of hurts, right? Well, that's where, where I feel like the better uh, solution for that is – to still do plank work, if you're going to do that where you're not lifting one arm or one leg off independently, so more asymmetrical patterns, that's maybe a little bit more advanced for some people. But I would just do what we call max tension effort. So we were just holding these planks for 20 seconds at a time, but with as much tension as we could possibly create. So trying to pull our elbows down to our toes and our toes up to our elbows. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. So that's in that uh, plank position. In this case, we're, we're talking about the prone position. Th that max tension really gets us to feel like, man, I can feel this all in my abs. I can feel this quite a bit, even in my lats to create that brace. And that 20 seconds can't come soon enough. That is a good sign you're doing it right. Yeah. And you should even be shaking. Yeah. So, so efficiency versus effectiveness. Now we can talk about how efficient is a plank? Well, I think most, unfortunately, most time we look at planks, it's not very efficient, right? It's, it's, it's something that we're doing because we want to become more efficient, but it's not efficient because we're doing it too long or we are not doing it with that stacked position we're talking about. So, you know, again, if people want to know what a stacked position is with ribs down, et cetera, try that max effort plank for about 20 seconds. That's what a stacked position is. Mm -hmm. And the effectiveness part of it comes because 
we are creating max tension and we're shaking. That's effective. And so that's where I will look at an athlete that's shaking and say, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. That's a great job. And I said this, I mentioned this earlier, but I said, you know, that's where I can really tell if an athlete understands the concepts and is doing these things with good intentional tension because they are shaking and it is difficult versus that person 20 seconds in, they could easily hold it for another 20, 40 seconds, a minute, two minutes, three minutes, because they're not creating the tension that they should be. So that's the effectiveness part of it. Now, you know, again, that can actually free up mobility in the hip. And then you test it out by saying, okay, now when I go into that squat pattern, or now when I go to uh, run a little bit, let's say I'm doing some fractionalized efforts that way, I'm going to run for a few minutes again, Oh, my hips do feel like they're more mobile now. And I do feel like my uh, headlights are shining forward, right? Mm-hmm. So th- that's a, a good way to to test that. And that's why I like to do these fractionalized running efforts sometimes just in the gym because I can see my form in the mirror. And then also I can get right off of the treadmill, hit my planks, get right back on, and I can test these things out, right? So that's a good way to, to test that efficiency versus effectiveness. And as far as building up your volume with the running and saying, I'm going to have the patience to, to do this. Last thing that I'll kind of talk about is if you notice at the camp, there was a young man that was, was explaining his spinal tap work and his daily protocol. And he was telling the other athletes that it was it was almost a little bit redundant for him, right? Like he doing these drills daily and not doing anything else, but just really working on these drills daily. Uh, I asked him to do that for a six week period of time and he did it. He did it, I think in part, just because he's been able to see the examples of some other athletes ahead of him that went through similar types of programs and, and achieved results. Whereas he was used to doing a lot more variety in Mm -hmm. his training. Now I'm still a fan of variety. You can't get too stale. You want to be able to, um, to, to mix things up a little bit, but essentially I think, and especially when you are new to programming and, or when you're now racing and you're in season, I think it's better to stick with the things that you know that you can do well and you can hold that form like in that plank position I was describing before, but just getting really, really efficient at it. So it is more effective. And then when you progress, right? So the definition of progressions is basically where you are at now versus where you want to be, where when you do progress in these type of positions, um, then you have opened the door up to be able to do a lot more and you can advance to other uh, to other movements that might be a little bit uh, sexier, right? They yeah. might be more exciting to do, but you got to put in your time with these basics. And that's where I literally say base, right? Your uh-huh. base, right? This It's your basics. You yeah. should focus on the basics first so you can hold that stack position that we're talking about. I think when you look at these videos, you could see what we're talking about a little bit better. But yeah. yeah. I, I think the thing that I really like is is so many of these, if not all, probably all of the movements in um, in this basic series, 
they really um once you've mastered them and these positions are now um almost second nature to you maybe instinctual they're the things that allow you to then build on top of that they allow you to go out for your run or to uh go into strength progressions and not think about the that part of the minutia of the movement so you're are you're already 10 steps ahead as far as whether your form is going to be right um whether you are prone to get injured or not that stuff sort of gets a little bit farther away if you know that you've mastered these basic movements that's right you know uh, just when i was talking about the the guy who had back surgery and he was a steeplechaser a really good athlete he was uh, after after doing a zoom call with him and i was showing him the stacking positions and he tends to have his hips hinge a little bit when he fatigues sitting in the saddle we call that and then he just as soon as as soon as i talked to him about this and reminding him that this is what he tends to do that that light bulb went on where he said you know what i i don't think i'm holding that position into minutes six seven eight and nine yet i think i i think i went too quickly from five ones right to nine ones and this is a guy who's very accomplished but you know he's been through a major surgery so he's got to build back up and the better that or the more efficient he becomes at stacking the less likely that I feel like he's going to have any more issues or pain in his back, right? So this is something that we have to be patient about. And that's where I talk about these stories constantly, because I feel that if we play the patience game, and I, and I call it patience phase training, if we play that patience game, I think that we're going to be able to not only have a better shelf life long term, but we start to really understand our form. And um, there's just one more thing I want to bring up. I keep saying, like, oh, this will be the last thing, but <laughs> Bill Rogers, he'll be on the podcast soon. Oh, and I'm sorry if people got really excited. Not Bill Rogers, who won four Boston Marathons and, and New York Marathons, but um, talking about Bill Rogers, who's actually a client and in the facility for for the last several years and uh, involved with with our product. And he he's a huge believer, but obviously um, part of the reason why is because he's a great student. And he was um, he was running just ahead of me when we were doing a threshold time trial test. And I could see that he was swinging his arms out kind of wide. And I told him afterwards that his arm swing seemed to be the first thing that, that, that would go with him when he's running at that level. So he worked on his arm swing while he was hiking, while he was walking, and during his fractionalized easy runs. And he just focused on that arm swing and obviously holding his stack position. And then we went out and did another... Uh, threshold training session and man his arm swing was beautiful so that's the thing about uh, some of this efficiency versus effectiveness because he has these layers once he reminded his his system of what the job is and what it is that we need to hold he was now very effective at doing that but he took the time 
And he said, okay, for the next week, this is all I'm going to really focus on. And it really paid off. So he's getting faster. He doesn't have the old injuries that he used to have. And yet it really comes down to being, say, humble enough to say, I'm going to do the basics and really focus on this. And I'm not just going to go out for another run and expect a different result. Yep. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah, man, baby. Yeah. So be efficient, be effective, be patient, Patient. be patient. And uh, that's all I got to say. (laughs) <laughs> that's all i gotta say that's today. all i gotta say well if you want to see uh some of the videos that we've been talking about you can go to our, our website which is pendolaproject.com p-e-n-d-o-l-a project.com um you can also find us on youtube you can find us on instagram you can find us on facebook and just search for pendola project you can search also for relative run readiness and uh that's our that's our Well, the videos that we have in relative run readiness, they teach you how to do these breathing patterns we're talking about. They teach you... Spinal tap is in there. Spinal tap is in there. We have the uh, You Know When 10 assessments. Again, I think everybody should always start off with those so they can see where their restrictions are and how to work on those things first so you have a fighting chance when it comes to the basics. And, um, you know, this is what we're passionate about. Do we have more advanced programming? Yes, we do. But I believe that even when I have elite athletes that start up my program, they start with the UNOEN 10 assessment and they go into spinal tap work before they move into their first strength progression. So, you know, if they can do it, we can do it. (laughs) And, you know, that's really, uh, I've been, uh, I've been trying to hold back some gas this whole podcast, Chad. Oh, so my word. it's time for me to I gotta get out of the go. studio. Yeah, it's you gotta clear that we I gotta clear the air here, so we gotta get out of here. Guys, thank you so much for listening and uh, That's what's relative. That's what's relative. Yeah, man. 